Thank you. I, I do. I, I, it was a, it was a, with a lot of the ministry that I do, a lot of the stuff I do, it is interpersonal. It's relationships. It's being with people. And I love it. I don't like being locked away somewhere, uh, talking to people through a computer screen. And, you know, I, I had some depression the last year, you know. Uh, I don't know if anybody else experienced that. Uh, some separation, some frustration, and it was rough. Uh, and I'm just really happy to be getting out and, and being with people again, being with my brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and serving and, and being here. So it's just an honor to be with you today. I'm very happy. I was here a year ago uh, when we did the NCD consult. And um, so some of you may remember me from that. If you don't, no big deal. Um, it won't hurt my feelings. I don't think I'm overly memorable, which is great. I want people to remember Christ, not me. Um, so the, today's message, uh, the title is Enter His Rest. Uh, the, to enter God's rest is our goal. Uh, he wants us to enter His rest. But what does that mean? What does that mean, to enter His rest? Uh, this, 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 in Hebrews chapter 4, it's in Hebrews chapter 4, it's talking about us entering God's rest. And when it starts talking about entering God's rest, it, gives, it sends us back to a story in the Old Testament of the people of Israel as they had got to the edges of the promised land the first time. If you remember that story, the people of Israel get to the edge of the promised land. They've, they've come out of Egypt. They haven't been out of Egypt that long. But since they came out of Egypt, before they came out of Egypt, what happened? You can interact with me. It's, I, I ask a lot of questions and they're not rhetorical. Um, so if you don't talk back to me, I'll just keep asking questions and eventually I will just stand here and stare at you. So it's just easier to give me what I want. All right? So what happened? What, what happened right before they came out of the promise, out of Egypt? What was, what was happening? The plagues, right? These were amazing displays of the power of God. Right, the, the power of God greater than any power of the, the gods, false gods of Egypt. Right, so it was it was displayed to them. This God is greater than any other god, and they are brought out, and they go out, and then what? The, then they get that first major event at the edge of the Red Sea, and there's another message given. What message do you think is in that in that message of the Red Sea? So they cross over, right? Um, what? what so, I can give you answers. Anybody, anybody, what, what, think about it. I want you to think about it. What messages does the Red Sea teach? You can count on God. Absolutely. He, he, what was it you said over here? You can trust him. You can trust God. But there's, there, those are absolutely great. So they're, they're at the Red Sea. They don't know where to go. God says, this water is not an obstacle for me. And the water divides. And they walk through on dry land. But the battle, see, the problem's not over. What else is the problem? There's an entire army. And they're not equipped to fight. They're not trained to fight. They're not fight. They're not, they don't have armor and weapons. They don't have anything that they can do about it. And so God says, I will fight for you. And the army is wiped out. Completely wiped out. Wow. So, so they, they have the, the power of God over any other God, that you can rely on God. He can take you through any trials. He can beat the armies, the, the enemy that are way outclassing you. I got your back. And then they get out there, and they, the first thing that happens, they come to a, 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 a oasis. They're thirsty. They need water, and they come to the oasis, and the oasis is called 
Bible trivia. Anybody know what the oasis is called? Mara, which means bitter. Bitter. They get there, they're excited, they see the water, they drink, and it's bitter. They can't drink it. It's going to make them sick. And then what does that teach us? What does that, what does that miracle teach you? God provides again, right? But he can take what is bitter in your life and make it sweet. He can take what you might think would be poison and make it a salvation. Take the bitter mix. And then you, you go through anyways. I'm not going to go through every miracle that they face going through the wilderness. But they go through the, miracle of the, through the, wilderness, miracle, the wilderness of miracles. Miracle after miracle, God shows them day after day food from heaven, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. He shows them time. He speaks to them from the mountaintop. He gives them his rules, his guides over and over and over and over. He shows them all through the wilderness that he is above any problem they can have. He is stronger than any enemy that they can face. He can take any bitterness and make it sweet. He can take any hunger and fill it. He can take any thirst and quench it. He can do everything you need. And they get to the edge of the promised land and they send in the spies. And those 12 spies walk into the promised land and they walk around and they look at everything and they say, wow, this place is phenomenal. It's everything we've been told it is. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. It takes two people to carry one bunch. This is amazing. But the cities are walled and fortified and the people, they're like giants. We look like, we feel like grasshoppers in front of them and and they're warlike people and we can't take it. Everything God had just showed them as they came to the edge of the promised land told them what? Well, you gave me a lot of answers, so this is awesome. I want to narrow them down. What, what, did, what did it show them? Nothing's impossible for God. That's good. What was that? They could trust God, right? I got this. I think that's the one I was looking for. God has it. Going into the promised land was not dependent upon them. It was not dependent upon their strength. That's why when it goes back to it and God says, you will not enter my rest. Now, this is an interesting definition of rest, if you think about it, because the definition of rest is going into a fortified land with giants and warlike people and and cities that are walled that you can't defeat. That's entering rest. It's a little different definition that we would like to... um, This is all an analogy of our spiritual walk and the plan of salvation. That whole journey is the journey of our plan, of, of, our, of our salvation in our lives, of God's work and what he is doing for us. We are on the edge of the promised land, but our lives are full of strongholds and giants and enemies that want to rob us of what God wants to give us. God has great plans and he is greater than those things. He is greater. What does it mean to enter God's rest? God's rest, it means that we we enter life day by day 
in the midst of giants, in the midst of fortified cities, in the midst of sin and struggle and heartache and things that we can't control. And we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And we have joy. And we have people we're journeying with. And not against. As I think about this story, there's another step that takes place. The spies come back. They tell them how great the land is. And then they say, we can't do it. And what do they do immediately next? They start attacking Moses and the spies that said they could do it. They start attacking each other. This is an interesting human condition. It's a lot easier to attack someone else than to face our own giants. Isn't it? It's a lot easier to criticize someone else for their blindness. Jesus called it about the, you remember the the illustration of the log and the moat, right? He says, why do you try to take the moat out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? It's a human condition. We tend to look at other people when things get too hard for us. We feel too guilty about our own sins. And, And the thing that is about it is that we're almost always I wouldn't say always, but almost always oblivious. Almost always oblivious to the fact we're doing it. It's justified in our own mind because we see them and we see, well, we're a little better than they are, quite frankly. I mean, I don't have that problem. Nobody here has done that. I'm sure I'm probably preaching to the choir. And no one has probably ever done that to you. Right? Anybody... No hands. Uh, maybe I'm in the right place. I'm, above, I'm among fellow believers. Have you ever looked at the giants and felt discouraged? Uh, let's, let's just see. How many of you here, and I, now I know there's people that won't raise your hands if you gave them a million dollars. I understand that. But I'm just begging with you today. How many of you, please raise your hand with this, on this one if, if it's true. How many of you have been discouraged in your Christian walk at some point. Okay, that was most... I should have made you keep your hand up and look around. (laughs) We all have. We are together in this journey. We are all struggling sinners on this planet. And if you didn't raise your hand... But you raise it in your heart, you're okay. But if you didn't raise your hand because you don't think you have a struggle, I want to tell you today, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble because God cannot help you with the struggle you won't acknowledge. Amen. But he can help you overcome any struggle that you give to him. Amen. The scripture reading. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
for we are his workmanship. Or his workmanship. So at what, that's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, if you didn't remember what the scripture was. So what great salvational thing are you doing that is, that is, is making you worthy for heaven? What sin are you, I mean, I'm sorry, what sin? What's, what, what, what righteousness do you have in your robes that are getting you into heaven? Zero, right? We know this. We know this. Um, all right, so how about this? What stains on your neighbor's robes are keeping him out or her? Okay, I'm confessing. Amen, brother. I don't know who said that, but that's right. It's not my job. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a pace, there's a place there. You know, ultimately, let's go to, let's go to the uh, book of Romans. And we'll go to Romans chapter 14. And Romans chapter 14 is a dangerous chapter for a lot of people. But it is, and I think it's ignored because it is a dangerous chapter for a lot of people because they're scared of it. Because it said some things that makes them feel very uncomfortable. Romans chapter 14, if you haven't read it before, Romans chapter 14, but it is so essential because it, I, I, in my experience, in my short lifespan, have seen this problem in Romans chapter 14 ruin more lives and more salvations, more churches, more families than almost anything else. Romans 14 Chapter 14 and verse 1. Now, there's lots of different versions you can read this in. But I'm going to read this verse 1 in um, the New Living Translation. Oh, I don't have it there. I have to open it up here. Romans 14 and verse 1. There it is. That's Romans 1 1, not 14 1. Sorry, Romans. I looked at it and I was. I know sometimes I, you know, I've, I preach a lot of sermons and sometimes I write down the wrong verse and you're up. There's nothing worse, trust me. When you're up front, front preaching and you turn to the verse you think you're going to turn to and it's not the verse that you thought it was. Oh, that's. And you, you have this moment. I don't know. I have this moment of just panicked fear. What in the world is going on? Um. Verse 1, this is the New Living Translation. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. That's a pretty clear translation on that one, right? Accept other people who are weak in faith. This is easy because everybody's weak in faith. Um... The pitfall in that is to look at other people and say, well, you're kind of weak in faith, so I've got to give you some grace. But then it says, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Uh, and King James says, don't enter into doubtful disputation, I think is what it is. For instance, here we go. This is a pitfall. This is a scary part for a lot of people. This is a point of argument and contentions. Next verse. It says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, 
But another person believe, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Well, that would be what we would call vegans today, right? Right? And those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has, now in this verse it says, for God has accepted them. I'm going to go back to the actual root word in that because it's really a beautiful word. But what does he say here? Have you ever seen this happen anywhere? Is that in direct conflict to the contradiction to the Bible? For us to look down at someone based on their diet? Is that what Paul just said right here? Right. Um, but notice this verse is in the King James. Somebody has the King James or, or more of a more older language one. You want to read that verse 3, read that last part of it. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. For God has received him. This is a, a beautiful word in, in, in the original language there. I'm going to go back to that. Let me get my concordance out here. It says, this word, I, now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to slaughter it. I'm just going to, it says proslambano, proslambano, that's, that's a slaughtering it. But what it means is he has taken them to his heart. You see that? So when, when you say, don't look down on the person who does eat or don't look down on the person who doesn't eat. Why? Because God has taken them to his heart. Now, just let that soak in for a second. Think about that, what that means. He has taken them to his heart. He loves them. Has he accepted them? He's accepted. If they, if they are a believer in Christ, then he's accepted them. Where they're at, not because of what they've done, and not because of what they've earned. If it was because of works, then they could have something they could boast about. But there's not because of works. They've all been accepted at the same level as you have. Right? This is not an argument saying this is right and this is wrong. This is an argument saying this is between them and this is between God. And this is between you and this is between God. you and God. And we're all standing on the edge of the same promised land. We all have giants and we're all having to fight and we're all struggling and we all get discouraged and we all have heartaches. And I'll tell you, sister, I loved your your, your prayer request, your sister, as your tears came out. My heart was touched because we all have those tears at times. Maybe, maybe us manly men don't cry as much, but we all know what that feels like. But he goes on to the next, in verse, verse 4, he said, on the next verse, he says, Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yes, he will be held up, for God is able to make him stand. Stand. 
Do you think God is able to save your brother or sister? Do you think he's able to save you? There wasn't, you know, that's interesting is because there wasn't as strong of amens on that one as there was on the first one. And the difference is we know ourselves very well. Or maybe we should know ourselves because we, when, we, when you look at yourself, the better you know yourself, the more you realize how far you are from the character of Christ. Yeah. Now we're going to get into heresy in verse 5. Um, and this, is, this verse is really hard for Adventists. It's really hard for us Seventh-day Adventists because the Sabbath is Saturday. There's no question in the Bible. It is very clear that the Sabbath is Saturday. It is a day that God gave us as, gave us as a beautiful day of rest. And it is a gift to us and not a burden. And it is important because it is a day that God wants. He has blessed and hallowed it. He did not bless and hallow any other day of the week. And it's important to us. And it's important to him. But... One man esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I'm going to tell you, I've, as, I've done a lot of evangelism, and I've worked with a lot of people, and, and, I, and I've heard the statement said, every day is a Sabbath to me. You ever heard that statement? It doesn't matter what day it is, just pick a day. Um, and, I, and I know a lot of people who really believe that. But I'm going to tell you something. I have no judgment or condemnation against them for that. Because it's not, they don't keep the Sabbath for me. And I don't keep it for them. It's not about whether it's right or wrong. Or is it? Well, somebody, somebody said something back there. It was a, it's wrong. It's wrong. The Sabbath is clear. Right? The Sabbath commandment is clear. Right? And I'm convicted on it. And so I'll tell you what. If I'm convicted on it and I'm rejecting it and I'm not doing it, there's a problem between me and Jesus. It's not between me and you. I'm sorry. I don't answer to you. It's not even between me and my wife, although there is more accountability there. But ultimately... She's not going to save me and I'm not going to save her. We do our best to influence each other positively. James 4.17. I know. (laughs) All right. So here we go. I'm going to continue on here. I lost my spot. So verse 6, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he eateth, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth and not, not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. This is King James and I can understand it and I can read it, but I'll tell you, it doesn't have the same power as when you read it in a more common English language. In the same way, some, oh, so where are we at? I'm, I'm going to read it in the New Living Trans- Translation again. 
Verse 7, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? They're not living to you, they're living to the Lord. Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all stand before the judgment seat of God. Not the judgment seat of Jeremy. I am not God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yes, every one of us will give a personal account to God. Verse 12. But. But. There's a big but in this one. What does Paul say about being a stumbling block? Does anybody know what Paul says about being a stumbling block? It's wrong to be a stumbling block, brother. That's right. <laughs> That's simple enough. Being now, this is a, this is this is the, this is the the, the the key and the foundation of all relationship with God. This is it right here. And Jesus said it was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang everything. Everything. Loving your neighbor. Now this can, this, you know, if I love my neighbor... I'm not going to get up in their face about them being wrong. If you're, you're not. And if, if you're getting up in people's face about them being wrong, just in case you didn't know, you're not being loving. Just in case you didn't know. If you're getting up in people's face and telling them how wrong they are, that is not Loving. That is not nice. <laughs> if you get on your knees and praying for them and pouring your heart out for them, for their good being, that's, that's loving. Right? If you share something that's been a blessing to you in a loving way, but not condemning way, hey, you know, if you want to share that Let's just use, let's use we've, we've mentioned veganism already. Let's just share. If you want to share how veganism can be a great benefit to you and how it's been a blessing to you and how wonderful it is and you, you want to share that with somebody, that's great. As long as what? Where does it, where does it become bad? If we, as long as you're not saying, well, well, you're not saved if you don't do it. You're wrong for not doing it, basically. In fact, 
well, God can't really love you if you don't. Or you can't really love God. I've heard it said that if you're not a vegan, you can't be saved. By loving people. I think they were trying to be loving. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of what we eat or drink. And quite frankly, it's not a matter, the Sabbath will not save you. It won't. I believe with all my heart that there will be many, probably thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people that will be in heaven who never once kept the seventh day Sabbath. But had a deep love for God and for their brother and sister. The, the sign that shows that we are God's is that we have love one for another. That is the sign that shows that we are God's, is if we have love one for another. Are we loving one another? Are we having deep care and concern for one another? Are we lifting each other and building each other up? Are we praying? Are we drawing close in the struggle? We're Christ's disciples. If we're not, and I, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be, mean about this but I'm going to be blunt if we're not loving each other then we are not Christ's disciples period because that's the sign he himself gave that you are my disciple and here's the good news is that not loving one another is a giant that God can kill Not loving one another or having a spirit of judgment or criticism or negativity or looking down at other people and having this part, because I know it can be a struggle, that's another stronghold that God can take out of your life. It's a stronghold that if you don't think needs to be taken out of your life, he can't take it out. But I'm going to tell you, if you have that stronghold in your life where you're having a hard time looking at your brother and sister and thinking that they need to be doing this and that need to do that and you need to do this and he's not doing this and she's whatever, if we have that going on in your head then you need to take that to the Lord and he can give you victory over it. But if you don't, he won't and you won't make it. I'm going to be as blunt as possible. You will not make it into heaven if you have that spirit. You will never enter into his rest. But he wants you to be in his rest. He loves you more than you love yourself. And he wants you to take the love that he has for you and he wants you to give it to the person across the aisle from you. The same loving acceptance that he gives to you, he wants you to give to other people. He loves you. He loves us. He died for us. Sorry, got a little heated there. But it breaks my heart when I see brothers and sisters eat each other apart. It really does. I've seen people destroyed after people destroyed. Because they get caught up. Keeping their eyes on each other rather than on God. There's this.
there are laws uh, of, of how battery life works on normal times, and then there's laws in, in evangelism. And I've had batteries die in a single night. Of ser- I mean, spoke, turned it off, next night, battery's dead. The devil will do anything he can to stop, but God, Amen. we still win. Because we're on God's side. Where were we at? John 21. And we want to remember the context of John 21. John 21, the Gospel of John. And what's the context of John chapter 21? Breakfast by the Sea is the title you have in yours, right? It's an interesting breakfast because this is where Peter. Peter, who had done what? He had betrayed his Lord and Savior. He had denied him three times with cursing, denying he even knew who he was. Jesus had died. He'd been resurrected. Peter's heart, I'm sure, was condemning himself. He felt horrible. And Jesus has this interaction with him. It's a beautiful interaction. Let's start in verse 15. Jesus had made them a a fish dinner by the seashore. And he called them over and he said, come and eat. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? It's an interesting question. And he says unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And he says to him again a second time, Son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, Feed my sheep. And he says unto him again a third time, Son of Jonas, do you love me? And finally, Peter breaks. It's easy to say we love Jesus. I love Jesus. It's easy to say it. Those are easy English words. They're not complicated. They're not hard to say. But do we really love him? That's the question. Do we really love him? And Peter, I think, had his walls up and he was still feeling guilty and he was still, yeah, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know. And then finally he breaks and he knows he's in. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love thee. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when, thou wait, when you were young, you gird yourself. You walk where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he told him to signify what death he would glorify God with. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, So God had just told him what to do. And he said, what? I don't know if you read the the histories. We believe that, how did Peter die? He was crucified. His arms were spread out. He was led to the cross. It said that he refused to be crucified right side up, but upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord was. But it was told. And then what did Peter do immediately after? Now this is, this is an amazing close situation between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus had just given him a great revelation. But it was ingrained in Peter's character. 
And it's ingrained in a lot of our characters. (laughs) Peter immediately looks around and starts thinking about what other people are doing. Right? He looks around and he sees John. The one that Jesus... I love the way way John talks about himself. He just says, the one Jesus loves. That's... Hmm... We're all the ones Jesus loved, John. I, you know, I just... Peter turns, sees the disciple who Jesus loved following, which was also leading on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, what about him? What shall this man do? And Jesus' response is, it's none of your business. I told you to follow me. That's his response. Our job is to follow Jesus. Right? Amen. Amen. And to love one another. <laughs> love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. That's a high standard. And if you think you can love your brother and sister as Jesus loved you, by gripping your bootstraps and pulling real hard, you're not, you're, you're, <laughs> bad news. It's not going to work. You need a heart transplant. We all need a heart transplant. Every one of us here needs a heart transplant. We all desperately need our Savior. We're all walking into a promised land filled with strongholds, giants, and fierce enemies. We go in on our knees, but we go in with confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We go in in confidence knowing that the battle is not mine. And any victory I have, all glory goes to Jesus Christ. Any good I have, all glory goes to Jesus Christ. I have nothing to boast with on my own. I have nothing to be, look at me. Look what I do. I work at the conference office. I'm so great. I think I got demoted is what I think. I was once a pastor, now I only work at the conference office. We have nothing to glory of, but we have a God to glory in. And he is worthy of all praise and all honor and all goodness and all grace. He is worthy of everything that we have. He is worthy. Let us give him our full hearts. Let us not be halfway his. Let us not waste our time worrying about the things here around us. And the people and what they're doing, let us worry about our relationship with him. One more verse. I think. I don't know if I'm... I'm about done saying what I'm going to say, so I don't care what time it is. Um, Romans chapter 13, verses 8. And then I'm going to jump to verse 14. And this is immediately preceding what we just read in, in, in Romans 14. Context. Oh, nothing, this is New Living Translation, Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Follow that? If you love your neighbor, 
you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. When Jesus lived, I'm sorry, (laughs) I don't want to go, okay. When Jesus lived his life here on earth, he deliberately got in the face of the scribes and the Pharisees. Deliberately, especially over the Sabbath. Especially over the Sabbath. And what did he do? He always did good things. He always loved. And he brought forth this. And they would say, you can't do that. That's sin. He says, what was the law created for? I'm putting the law there instead of just the Sabbath. What was the law created for? It's created for man, not man for the law. The Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was created for our good and our benefit. And when we try to use the law to beat people up, it's not doing its job. No, but when we try to love one another, you know what you're doing? You're fulfilling the law. When you try to make people keep the law, you're not doing its job. The law never was designed to make you keep it. Only God can make you keep it. Only his transforming power of the Holy Spirit can make you keep it. Sorry. Verse 14. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that imagery. Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no fashion on earth better than that. Amen? And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. It's a hard standard there. Lord, control my thoughts. And he can give you victory. What is the only obligation? What does he say to start that out? Let there be no debt. Let there be no obligation except this one thing. Love your neighbor. And you will fulfill the law. This is a really high standard. It's easy to talk about up here from the pulpit. I'm not even at the pulpit. But it's easy to talk at up here in front. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to say these words. But to put them into practice when someone is being a total unkind person to you. It becomes very hard. When somebody is being so fill in the blank, try to keep it kosher, it's harder to be loving. That's why we need Jesus to slay those giants. We need it. I need it. So pray for each other. Lift each other up. Encourage each other. We're all going into the same land together. And if we can't, Ellen White has this wonderful quote. She says, if we can't get along here, we won't get along there because we won't be there. That's simple. Love one another. Every single here in this person here in this building is a precious gem in Christ's crown. Even the most stinky ones of us all. He loves us desperately. Amen. I'm done talking. I'm going to turn over to our, the closing hymn. And I, I don't know if, I, uh, if it's okay. I'd I like to invite my wife to come do the closing song. Is that okay? Amen. Hymn number.